Welcome to Legally Speaking, a podcast from the Utah Attorney General's Office. Here, we will be discussing matters of policy and justice, cases that our office is taking on, hot topics in Utah and in the world. But of course, it will all be done legally speaking. Welcome to Legally Speaking. I'm Richard Pyatt from the Utah Attorney General's Office. Uh, we're talking human trafficking today with Mick Spilkler, who's the section chief for the Proactive Investigations of Street Crime and Enforcement, which includes human trafficking. Yeah, Secure Strike Force. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your law enforcement experience. Like, how, what led you to the AG's office and uh, what was your interest in focusing on human trafficking? Well, I spent 20 years with the Department of Corrections in investigations and then uh, retired from there and got hired on at the AG's office just a little bit before the Secure Strike Force started. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up working with them and spending a lot of time. And human trafficking hadn't quite, this we're talking back in 2009, had quite, hadn't hit yet. And yeah. then, uh, of course, as time the, the went public's, on. The public's perception. Yes, maybe. the public's perception, as well as actually criminal cases that we were looking at. Yeah. You know, at that time, it was mainly fraud docs and mm-hmm. things like that. But as time progressed, obviously, it moved into human trafficking. And so then I started yeah. investigating that. So there's, there's some people out there who just don't think that human trafficking is a legitimate deal. They just don't think that it exists. They think that it's just some kind of like mechanism for law enforcement to get money and stuff like that. What, what's your response to people when they say that? Uh, I think they need to maybe educate themselves a little bit more on that and look into it. Obviously, it's the misperceptions out there of, of what trafficking is. It's, it's not something that stands out like people think, like van loads of people come in and... Right or being let out of a van each night and then locked up each night. It's, I guess the term invisible rope is there. Mm-hmm. It's used obviously quite a bit in, uh, when they're teaching about human trafficking. So it's there even though you mean it. It's there, recognize. but you don't really, it's, you can't see it like you would if somebody got injured in a fight or something. Yeah. Does it make it harder to like deal with it and, and arrest people and rescue people um, also? Yeah, it because makes if it, they're if they're covering it up, then you can't detect it. You can't arrest anybody because you can't prove anything. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those. Obviously, the public is out there everywhere, and so obviously if they're educated to what to look for in that, they'll call in and give us tips that we can follow up on those tips, and then hopefully uh, get in there and be able to rescue the person, which is obviously our main objective is to get that mm-hmm. victim or victims out of that scenario and get them the help they need. So you look around, you look around the state of Utah, you see beautiful landscapes and mountains and all that kind of stuff. You don't see the human trafficking issue. How bad would you say it is though, kind of hidden under the surface? Well, it's bad enough that obviously people are focusing on it and laws are being changed, modifying the laws each year, it seems like it's always a topic at, when they're changing bills to, to modify them so it makes it easier for law enforcement to arrest those that are involved with it. Right. There's, there's two them. types. There's like, labor trafficking and the, and the sex trafficking. Are both of them pretty prominent in Utah or is one more 
more common or yeah, easier mean, for law enforcement to deal with? Uh, there is obviously sex trafficking here, but labor trafficking, because there's a lot of open lands where it gives uh, job opportunities for people from outside the country to come in and work, which makes labor trafficking for those that do it a lot easier to do because mm -hmm. they can control them a lot easier. So how, how would you recognize though that if, if someone crosses the border and doesn't have papers and they get a job working for working in agriculture, they want a job, they're working because they want to be here as opposed to somebody who's being basically used as a slave. How do you guys tell the difference between that dynamic? Well. For instance, there was a case not too long ago up in Ogden where we had the carnival. Right, I remember that. Those people coming in to work had work visas because the you know you can apply for work visas to come in, and agriculture is pretty popular for sponsoring that. Once they come in, then who's ever running that business can take those papers away from them, which makes it a lot harder for them to. Mm -hmm go out and legally get a job. Right. But those that come in illegally and then work illegally, um, you know, it does make it a, a lot harder because they don't have the necessary papers that they can be controlled with. So in a way, it's the way the people are treated once they're already in yeah. the position. Yeah. Okay. There was a traveling carnival from Arizona that came here. The workers were working there long hours, very few breaks, no water, no bathroom breaks, and the owner had stolen their, or had taken their papers and they and they couldn't leave. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. And finally, did, did someone report it? Is that yeah, it got reported and it, it came through uh, somebody in the, I think, but I believe it was the Mexican consulate mm -hmm. uh, came through that way. And then some agents went out and interviewed the person and it led to that. So aside from those people reporting it, if I go out to a carnival or if I go out to a shopping mall or something, can I, can I detect it? Can I figure it out? Or how, how, do, well, how would I recognize it? How can the public help? Well, obviously the main it? thing is the public needs, needs to familiarize themselves with uh, what labor trafficking is or sex trafficking. And I mean, there's just so many things to look for that you, you know, but the best thing that I could recommend is be a good witness. You know, if you see something like, for instance, at the carnival, obviously the living conditions is a, an indicator. If you mm -hmm. got, you know, eight to 10 people in a little trailer, you know, that could be a potential right. indicator of it. Um, you know, working seven days a week, that type of thing. It seems like kind of a, it seems like kind of a bleak area of law enforcement to, to work in because you're, um, you're kind of going into a dark side of human nature. In other words, kind of you're kind of going back to investigating uh, slavery a little bit. Is that true? And then with the sex trafficking, there's children involved sometimes, right? Um, yes, obviously there are children involved. Um, we haven't had any where we've had like minor children. I mean, we've had you know teenagers. Mm -hmm. involved in it, that we've worked cases where we've, you know, teenagers were rescued. Mm -hmm. Do you deal with that, do you deal with that issue of, of the people actually having uh, Stockholm Syndrome where they feel like they're okay, but they're not? Yeah, I mean, it's... defending their captor? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, these are the hardest cases, some of the hardest cases to investigate. Obviously, you're dealing with someone that's traumatized. Um, and yeah, as far as the Stockholm, that's, that's there. I mean, sometimes you, when you rescue somebody from that and you start working with them and they're provided with the services and they, they'll start opening up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But then they'll turn and start feeling bad that they just reported that so their trafficker you know there is that bond still and they feel like they're uh letting them down so has it always been out there we just didn't recognize it yeah i mean was it's it, what's this happening during well uh, the heyday I mean, of the 80s and stuff sex and work's always been here yeah um i guess it's you know it's over the times people starting to recognize that, you know, it is a controllable thing and manipulate, people are manipulated and taken advantage of. I mean, we yeah. all know what it's all about, money. Sure. In your, in your opinion, is it, is, it a, is it a winnable battle? Is it a battle where you can at least make progress? I don't know, I guess I kind of look at it like, if you rescue somebody, you win. I mean, I don't know that it's ever going to go away. I mean, I, it's like anything else. I don't think you're ever going to get rid of it. It's just... So it's winnable one case at a time. Yeah. And obviously when you have that case, you want to you win in court. So you want to put the best case together you can. But unfortunately in this crime, a lot of times you're looking at a human trafficking case, but in the long run it ends up being an exploitation case or... <coughs> money laundering case because the victims, you know, obviously are, it's a tough time for them to keep reliving it and then getting into court and having to get up and testify against the trafficker. So do you feel like in Utah we're, uh, we're handling it pretty mm -hmm. effectively? I know that uh, Attorney General Sean Reyes has really talked about human trafficking a lot. Has that translated? Uh, how well do you think that that has translated yeah, I, into action being taken and a difference being made. Yeah, I think, you know, the times I've spent with other states, investigators and that, I think we do have a pretty good handle on it, but obviously it's, we don't have a lot of resources to use and what we do have, we, we use them to the best we can. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of elusive, like for example, that traveling carnival, they're from Arizona. Yeah. They all came here and then it was reported to Utah, but none of these people are from Utah. No. So they kind of come and they go. So that's yeah, the thing. And that's, and that's the thing. It seems like they're always ahead of law enforcement in a sense because you make a new law, they, fig they figure out a loophole around that. Mm -hmm. Or they make it more difficult to investigate by switching people up, you know, and keep traveling around or... Um, just to kind of make that more of a shell game, trying to catch up to the victims. Are there, are there how would you rate the resources for victims once they're, once they're taken out of that situation? I mean, I'd, I'd say they're, they're, they're good. I mean, I, obviously, the more the better, but unfortunately, um, you know, that takes a lot of money and a lot of people spend a lot of time, you know, helping them out, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there. It's, I'd say it's better than some other places. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so you're you're in a, you've worked in different areas of the attorney general's office and in law enforcement. The the name of your unit is the the proactive investigations of street crime and enforcement. Being proactive is much more difficult than just responding to a case. If you've yeah. got somebody that's hit someone over the head, the police are called. You go there, you look for the guy that hit him on the on the head. With this being proactive, it's a little bit like where do you where do you begin, right? Yeah, I mean, there's social media is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of information on social media, and that's kind of where you start with the proactive, you know, or somebody says something about their friend or whatever, and then you go follow up on it, talk, you know, you spend a little time talking to different people and it eventually leads to, you know, a potential victim of labor or, or sex trafficking. Right. Okay. All right. Mick Spilker, thank you very much. Second right. Chief at the Utah Attorney General's Office, proactive investigations for street crime and enforcement. See you next time on Legally Speaking. Yeah.